Hey, everyone listening, make sure you check out Pro Sports Podcasters. Kobe, Justin, and Nee do a great job. I really enjoyed my appearance uh, and would love to do it again. My name is Vivek Jacob. I write for Raptors.com and CBC Sports. And you can follow me on social at Vivek M. Jacob. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Colbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We have something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Process Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mr. Neil Wallace-Bruce, a.k.a. NWB. And I'm joined by the talented Mr. Kobe Duran, a.k.a. Kobe. Kobe, how you doing? I'm good, buddy. How's it going with you? I'm pretty good. Can't complain. Actually, I can complain a little bit. Uh, we might actually get to that later in this interview. But we're bringing back a friend of the show, a gentleman that is uh, a writer over at Raptors.com. And you can also find his work on CBC. He writes about things Raptors and NBA. But he's not just a basketball Rider. He is multifaceted. We t- can talk to him about cricket. We can talk to him about tennis, soccer. What can't we talk to Vivek Jacob about? Vivek, welcome back. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You can't talk to me about the NHL or the NFL or... <laughs> yeah, trust me, there's a long list. Well, that's okay because I didn't really want to talk about hockey either. Did you want to talk about hockey, uh, Kobe? What's hockey? There we go. Well, hockey, where Vivek right. and I grew up, is played on grass. It's called field hockey. But that's right. we'll leave that for another day because I know I'm going to upset a few other listeners and whatever. Anyway, we're in the middle of the summer league. The Raptors drafted a couple of players. Uh, one of them, the name of Grady Dick, who I'm sure is going to endure a number of puns while he's in this fine city. <laughs> but... What was your take on the draft overall and the Raptors uh, and the guys they brought in? So specifically looking at the Raptors' 13th pick, I mean, obviously shooting was a glaring weakness. And so you would think theoretically at least they've addressed that in some way by adding Crady Dick. He is the best shooter in the draft or is expected to be. And so uh, even over, over the course of the summer league, we've seen his ability to shoot, you know, whether it's on the catch, whether it's on a dribble pull-up, I think all the, the different varieties of ways he can get his shot off is what's really encouraging. Personally, I felt like the Raptors have a pretty gaping hole at the guard position. And so I was hoping that they would look for a guard uh, based on, the limited film that I watched, obviously there are draft experts and analysts who watch a ton more than me, but based on what I watched, I really liked Kobe Bufkin and I was rooting for him to be picked. He has looked pretty good in summer league, not to say that Grady hasn't, but as far as a need is concerned and especially considering the fact that Fred Van Vliet is out the door, I would have liked to see Kobe in the picture. Indeed. Now, we're recording... That's why I'm here, to talk to another Kobe. There we go. <laughs> we're recording in the early to middle part of July. At the moment, the guard selection could be one of Dennis Schroeder, Malachi Flynn, or even Scotty Barnes. Do you, do you see them bringing in a free agent? 
perhaps? Well, with Dennis Schroeder in the mix, I think it's interesting how they're going to play things out because as it stands, it would seem the starting lineup will be Scotty Barnes at the point guard alongside Gary Trent Jr., OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, and Jakob Berto. I don't think he's quite ready for that in terms of having full-time duties. Uh, I'd like to see you know, him transition to that uh, over a longer period of time. And then I thought the interesting thing was Dennis Schroeder was uh, on a Zoom chat uh, with the media today, and he seemed to suggest that uh, he might be starting, uh, or at least that was somewhat the impression he was given. So uh, he said he, either way, he's got no issues with coming off the bench, if that's what it comes to. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how things play out. To answer your question, free agents to come beyond Dennis Schroeder, uh, I don't think so. Uh, so if it's a trade, then that I could see being used to address the guard position. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'll have to look up the last time uh, NBA starting five was bookended by a German and Austrian. But um, anyway, while I do that, <laughs> Kobe, you share the name with a great guard. What's your take on things? I mean, I, I don't think it's wrong to put Scotty Barnes in at this point. I mean, maybe he develops in the role as opposed, as opposed to outside the role. And I mean, it comes down to what you expect out of the Raptors in their next season. Like, what, what do you expect of it? Well, the way it's trending, I am expecting to focus on development and not so much on wins. And, you know, they might talk a good game in terms of believing that with the chemistry back and bringing the vibes back, that that might be enough to get more wins than last season. But as it stands, I see this team not being as good as last year's. And... I think I'm kind of coming to terms with that just because of the way things have been set up, right? When you look at the assistant coaches that have been hired, uh, they're primarily development-focused. The team is trending younger, and that's where I think all this Pascal Siakam noise is coming from as well, right? It, it kind of seems like the Raptors are still keeping you know, one foot in, one foot out, and that move would certainly signal uh, a major shift and a definitive direction. And so I think that's what we're all waiting on. And so, yeah, expectations wise, uh, I definitely don't have, uh, I'm not going to go in with expectations of the playoffs. I'll say that. Do you think signing Jakob Pertl to a long-term contract was the right move? You know, I, I think Jakob Pertl himself surprised me with his level of commitment to the Raptors. I thought that he might have been more of the opinion that, okay, well, if Rev Van Vliet is moving on, then I'm going to go find myself uh, more of a winning situation. Because you would think part of why he left San Antonio was to go to more of a, a winning situation, even though that, you know, that was a trade. But uh, I, I think that's what appealed uh, to him about Toronto. And he talked a good game about thinking that Toronto is headed in the right direction, but I thought he kind of misplayed his hand a little bit um, and probably, you know, could have had the Raptors bleed a bit more uh, in terms of what he demanded and seriously threatened to go to San Antonio, back to San Antonio or something like that. Uh, But it is what it is. I think having given up the first round pick that, you you know, unless you land in the top six, you're not going to have, they had to re-sign Jacoperto. 
I, I thought it would have been a terrible outcome to have made that trade at the deadline and then lose him. Okay, f- fair enough. And from what he's shown you so far, do you like Dick Vivek? <laughs> I see that's where we're going. You know, I have I have been um, I wouldn't warned is probably too harsh a word, but I have uh, been informed that as a Raptors employee, I have to be very mature about what I tweet. And so I have been staying away from all the jokes that are there to be made. <laughs> I try to get them all out in, in the group chats with my friends and, and keep them there. Uh, but it's, it's a challenge. That's for sure. Uh, like, I mean, even, even watching the game today, I was like, wow, we're seeing the whole package. And, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, you know, I went and tweeted that he's showing the full repertoire. So you got to adjust these things and, uh, you know, be professional. So, uh, yeah, so far I am liking what I am seeing from Grady. Right on. Right on. <laughs> Indeed. The Raptors have a big swinging dick on the roster. Anyway, <laughs> I have to get that one out. Now, in terms of uh, the league as a whole, we now have a new tournament. Well, new for the NBA because, mm-hmm. I think as some folks have not pointed out that WNBA has had an in-season tournament for a season or two now through their Commissioner's Cup. Adam Silver has adopted this now for the NBA. It'll kick off this season. All three of us are football fans, the round ball game, so we're familiar with this idea of playing your league matches and also having a a standalone cup that counts for something else. What what are your thoughts on how this is going to go in North America, Vivek? I do think they did the right thing by having regular season games serve as group games and just add context to it as opposed to having separate group games. That's where I think you would have opened up Pandora's box to teams not necessarily caring and potentially even using it as you know opportunities for load management. The interesting thing for me is what happens after the group stage. And will teams show enough passion for those knockout games to say, okay, we want to win this thing. And, you know, say if the Clippers are in it, are they going to load manage Kawhi because they just don't care about this tournament? Or are they actively going to go and try and win this tournament and play him? Uh, And I think stuff like that is going to be a determining factor in the success of it because I think... Like an all-star weekend or whatever it is, it all boils down to how competitive the players are, how competitive the teams, the franchises are, and how seriously they take it. And so, are you going to treat it like an FA Cup or are you going to treat it like a Carabao Cup? <laughs> that's a very good analogy. I like that. Yeah, that's why I have you on the show. Um, do you, let me ask you this. Do you think there are too many games in the current NBA schedule, the 82 games? Yes, 100%. (laughs) There are too many games. Um, If it were up to me, there would be uh, 58 games. Uh, Every team would just play each other twice, home and away, and you'd call it a day. Again, that's probably my footy influence. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, I I think, you know, that also opens the door to expansion. You know, I, I think that 
it makes it easier to figure out logistics when you're saying, okay, we've got a 58-game schedule right now. If we wanted to introduce, say, Seattle and Vancouver back into the mix and we're, we're going to add those two teams, now it's a, just a question of adding, you know, uh, those two extra games. And now, you know, you go up to a 62-game schedule. And so I think that becomes something that's much more feasible. And then I think... What it would also open up is the potential for just seeding one through 16 in the playoffs because you wouldn't have, you know, the East playing each other more often than the West. Then you can just look at it straight up at the records and just say, okay, you know what? One to 16, we can do this now. Obviously, come the playoffs, that's still quite a bit of travel you have to do, but I wouldn't mind seeing uh, playoff seeding that way. Yeah, I, I'll admit I'd like to see like a, like you said, a, a single file playoff seeding. No East versus West. Let's just have the best, the top sixteen teams, and let's just get on with it. What do you, what do you say, Kobe? I was wondering if he's been paying attention to the championships at Wimbledon. <laughs> of course he has. <laughs> you bet I have. So, what do you think about these final fours? I mean, yeah, I, I think it's going to be incredible. I think, I think I'm particularly excited for Djokovic and Sinner just because Sinner took the first two sets off him the last time they played at Wimbledon and Novak really had to pull out uh, his best to come back and win that. So I think having that in his mind, I I think Novak is going to come out all guns blazing to make sure he's not in that hole again. And so can Sinner handle that. I think that's going to be the really interesting part. I think the start of that match is going to say a lot. Uh, and then with uh, Medvedev and Alcaraz, I think Alcaraz is a big favorite. Uh, I think Medvedev has had a pretty light draw, all okay. things c- considered. Um, I still don't think he's quite there uh, as a grass court player. I thought Eubanks had his opportunities. And again, when Medvedev for a surface like Wimbledon to be playing as deep as he does, I I don't think he's he's gonna maximize because I think he has the skill to be more aggressive on grass courts, and that would actually get him to his ceiling on this surface. But I think as long as he's playing as deep as he does on this surface, he's never gonna get there. Now, uh, moving on to the women, Sabalenka Jabour is going to be. I think absolutely thrilling. Like from a matchup standpoint of like two contrasting styles, I don't think you could want anything better. Like the absolute brute force of Sabalenka going up against the incredible angles and slices and net play of Jabor. Like I think that is going to be so appealing to watch. Is, Is that the real final here? It might well be. I mean, Svitolina, what she did to get past uh, Shiantek, uh, I, I think was incredible. Um, so I, I won't count her up. Vondrusova in her own right has had a very good tournament. But yeah, if I had to power rank the three, I mean, I, I do have a soft spot for Jabor. She's like my personal favorite. I love watching her play. So I'm rooting for her to win this, especially you know after the way last year ended. 
she was so upset about it and you could see how happy she was after beating uh, Rybakina here. So uh, I'm rooting for her. Uh, at the same time, Sabalenko's got a great personality as well. Uh, and then Svitolina, if she were to go on to win it, she would be, you know, the story of the tournament if she isn't already. That's right. Okay, and then looking ahead, what do you think of the, well, the pool of players that are coming to Canada for our National Bank Open, the Canadian Open? Well, that's amazing, right? We got pretty much all the big names. I think the only one that was probably missing was Tsitsipas uh, among the top 10. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's going to be Djokovic's return for the first time since 2018. Uh, and then you get to watch Carlos Alcaraz. Uh, Medvedev is going to be there. Uh, Olga Rune is going to be there. Kasper Ruud is going to be there as well. You got the two Canadians, three Canadians. And I think that's probably going to be an underrated storyline is, you know, is this, this might well be the last time we see Milos Raonic uh, in Toronto. And so I think there will already be arrangements in place uh, to give him a good send off. But uh, yeah, I think, I, and again, I'm just basing this on the comments he made uh, at Wimbledon. Uh, and just how unsure he seemed about being back at Wimbledon. So, yeah, I, th- I think he just wants to be able to go out on his own terms to actually, you know, say that, you know, he was out on the court and then decided to leave as opposed to an injury, just, you know, being stuck in a room somewhere and just saying, okay, yeah, I've got nothing left. BetUS Sportsbook is your ultimate destination for online betting. With sports betting, live betting, racebook, online slots, and online casino. It's available across the U.S. and Canada. Use the code PSP to receive a massive sign-up bonus. And should we have any high hopes for any of our Canadian players, or are these not in that kind of form right now? Uh, no, they're, they're not in that kind of form right now. Uh, it would take a major surprise, in my opinion. Uh, Felix, uh, obviously, coming off, you know, winning three tournaments in a row at the end of last year, uh, leading Canada to its first Davis Cup. Things have not panned out uh, the way you would have liked or he would have liked. So I, I don't have high expectations for him. Denis Shapovalov, I think, you know, grass is such a good surface for him. Um, and he can blaze away on the hard courts as well. But to win the tournament with the names that are out there and Novak and Carlito and obviously Medvedev on hard courts is just a completely different proposition. Um yeah, I think they'd be hard-pressed to win it. Okay, fair enough. What about you? What do you think? I don't have really any high hopes for the Canadians at this particular event, unfortunately, although I am happy to see a number of the top players all there. So it, it's a give and take for me. Yeah, yeah. How often do you go? Do you try and go? I go when I can. I, I go when I can. It's been a while, but I, I used to go on a more regular basis. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It just seems like I'm injured every summer now. So that's kind of limiting me. Ah, yeah. That's tough. You sound like a Canadian on the ATP tour. Uh, I, feel, I feel like every time I look up, actually, ATP and WT, it seems like the Canadians are banged up at the moment. But um, I guess it's just a, a blip in the current golden era that we're in with the Canadian tennis players. We seem to be in a a new age of cricket, by the way, the era of baseball, if you read any English uh, rag during mm. the hatches. Uh, I must admit, I'm, I'm kind of tired of hearing about baseball already, and we're halfway <laughs> through the ashes. 
The Ashes, um, Australia are currently leading 2-1. Vivek, first, give us your take on the whole baseball phenomenon and then tell us what your thoughts have been on the Ashes so far and for the remainder of the series. So I wrote about this when England was playing New Zealand and they had that incredible test match where they lost by run. Mm -hmm. And as much as I hate to admit it and say it, I think basketball is phenomenal for test cricket. I, I think it's brought the game forward in a way like I'm an India fan. I was really, really struggling to watch the India West Indies day one test match here um, today. And the contrast, I mean, the fact that you've got two teams who are very evenly matched, the way the three tests have played out, you, you could not hope for anything better. And I think basketball, I think looking at the first two tests, they've sort of, you know, if, to, if I were to make an analogy, they're the kid with the coloring book that has gone way outside the lines. And now they've got to figure out, you know, where they've got to come back in. And I think some of the dismissals that they've had, uh, some of the decisions that they've made in the field, I think that's where they can learn from. And I think it is a question of recognizing that, hey, we need to scale it back. We don't need to actually do even more. And I think that's where uh, I'm at with basketball right now. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I, I have to agree. It's definitely added some some life. The, the, the style of play has added some life to the game. What, what I was saying before is the term itself is annoying me. The, the way that mm. it's, it, it is uh, wearing a bit thin in terms of the usage, but in terms of style of play, I think that's what not only English cricket needed, but I think as you said, test cricket has needed. It's it's exciting, it's flourishing, it's, it's a little bit of risk-taking, but no one really wants to see a test stretch out to five days and end in a stalemate, at least with basketball. If you lose, you gave it, you, you had a good go. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll say this about this series. Australia is currently leading it 2-1. I feel like the loss of Nathan Lyon is actually going to be more impactful than we think. I think yep. if England can... I guess, hold on to their chances in the field. Uh, we're going to see a situation where... That's a big if. Well, yes. I mean, and it seems like they persist with Johnny Bester, but uh, that's that's another discussion. <laughs> <laughs> they they want to they wanna win. They've got to take their catches. They've got to take their chances in the field. Uh, but with the bat, I think Australia could struggle in the certain conditions. I think without Nathan Lyon to come in on those, I guess, crumbling pitches... We, we, there could be some problems with the green and gold. What are your thoughts? Hold on, hold on. If I can interject for one second. As the least educated of the group here when it comes to cricket, can you guys explain basketball to me? Because I thought it was just a, a one-day cricket thing. Actually, it does have origins in, in limited overs cricket because Brendan McCollum, Kobe, is the coach of England and he, he played for New Zealand and he was a he was known for a swashbuckling style of play. He was a wicketkeeper or a catcher, if you will, that swung the bat. He was all about getting runs quickly and playing a very aggressive form of cricket. So he has and his nickname is Bass. Yes. So he's taken that to his coaching role now with the team, and that's his brand of cricket that he's 
instilled with the, the English team. Vivek, you want to uh, carry on with that? Sure. Yeah, and, and so you know, he. It, I should say that he is not the one who coined the term. It's the English media that coined the term uh, and have kind of run with it. And initially, they were the players and the coach Brendan McCollum were trying to give some pushback on it and that saying that you know it's just like it's an aggressive style of play and we're, we're not trying to call it anything and that's what they've called it and now everyone's run with it but yeah I think uh, to take it to the five day game and say hey we're gonna constantly push the envelope and constantly put other teams not even necessarily in uncomfortable positions but positions that are unique and make you wonder for a second what the heck is going on. Um, I think the first test uh, declaration <laughs> on the first day is a perfect example of that. And yeah, mm-hmm. they're scoring at rates that have never been seen before, frankly. If you look at the entire sample of you know the 16, 18 test matches they've played now, um, their scoring rate is higher than any other team in history. Uh, and so it allows them to do more things. It allows them to push the game to a point where, I mean, for example, right now they're playing the Ashes in England. And a lot of times when rain becomes a factor, you're saying, okay, well, this one's a draw. And then you move on to the next one and it rains again. And you're saying, well, this match is a draw. And because of how aggressive they're playing, you're getting these results consistently um, and there's almost no room <laughs> for a draw. And I think that's what uh, is really getting people excited. Pretty much every single match they've played to this point in this style has produced a result. They have lost from time to time, but their success rate is very high. And again, to have a res- result every single time they're playing that's what gets viewers tuned in. Okay, so it's a more aggressive style of play, but does that also make it a riskier style of play? Is just, they just happen to be on the right side of things? It is 100% a riskier style of play, uh, but I think the risk proposition in cricket has evolved because of T20 cricket. And what I mean by that is before T20 cricket, most like both the test format and uh, the ODI format, the one day kind of went on at a languid pace. And, you know, even when there was a time when, you know, one day game, if you scored 300, that was a mammoth score. And now that's almost become more of like a par score. And I think the batting has evolved to the point where there's so many scoring options where now this England team is saying, hey, we know what we're capable of. Like we've seen that we can do it in this T20 format. So we're just going to look for more scoring options more often than anyone else. And their success rate, again, has been pretty high. I don't know if it's 16 matches or 18 matches that they've played to this point, but I believe they've won about 14 of them. They've lost the two to Australia. They lost the one to New Zealand and they might've lost one other one. And I think, I think that speaks for itself. There we go. And uh, yeah, it'll be a very intriguing finish to the series. Now, before the ashes, there was the small matter of the world test championship between Australia and India. I'm not going to gloat too much because (laughs) 
it because I'm mindful that there is a, a 50 overs World Cup being played in India later in the year, and Australia does not play well on <laughs> uh, typically in the subcontinent. I think you know, I, I think the IPL has helped them get better though, just it the has, consistent yeah. experience of being there and experiencing the conditions and getting comfortable there. Um, I think has helped them improve over the years. I have to agree with you there. It's, it definitely has improved. We're not having instances where players are trucking over containers of baked beans. I feel like <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs> yeah. But one team that will not be at the World Cup in uh, later on this year is the West Indies. Uh, I guess mm. they've been part of the furniture for so long, but they haven't qualified. The Netherlands have qualified, by the way, Kobe, so... One of your teams is there, but how much of a a loss to the game is the omission of the West Indies for this tournament? I think it's a big loss from you know an overall view. I think when you look at West Indian cricket, their brand is just so entertaining, and so I think especially you know you, you think of how much Indian fans as well love. You know, over the years that they've shown to Chris Gale and Andre Russell and Sunil Narayan, because of how big they've been in the IPL, I think to have the West Indies there would have been immense. And so I think from that standpoint, it's a huge loss. Now, the thing that I will take from podcasts I'm listening to where West Indians have spoken is it seems they are finally reaching this breaking point where because of all the T20 cricket that's available and the fact that they can make a career just by playing in these T20 leagues, the passion to represent the West Indies isn't quite there anymore. Because again, you have to remember that they probably would feel more passion, you know, if a Jamaican was representing Jamaica. If, mm. you know, someone from Trinidad was just playing for Trinidad as opposed to having to come together. And again, because they can now have these careers outside of it, you would like to think that, you know, just the opportunity to play in a World Cup and these big tournaments would be enough. But if that's not the case, then you have to confront that reality. And does that mean, you know, exponentially increasing the funding to make sure that each of Jamaica and Trinidad and whoever can do what they need to do to have their own teams, that's maybe something that you have to entertain. And then, you know, that could potentially be a huge boon for cricket, right? If, if you could get a team from each of those nations competing at a high level, because guess what? We know they have the talent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we know it's in their blood to play this game. And so if you could figure that out, I think in the long term, that could be a huge, huge plus for this game. Yes. That, that, yes. Uh, that, that point has been raised by a, another friend of the show uh, who's in the UK. So it's interesting that you're on the same way, similar wavelength there. Now, you touched on 2020 cricket being a big thing in the West Indies. One of the pioneers was one Chris Gale. Uh, he did, in fact, throw out the first pitch last month at the Blue Jays game on their 
cricket-themed day, if you will. I was wanting to attend that game. I wasn't able to get there. But did you attend that game by any chance? Unfortunately, I wasn't able to attend that game. Fortunately, being in the media business, I have a few connections who were able to grab a hold of the the Blue Jays cricket jersey for me. There we go. So I'm I'm now a proud owner of uh, the Blue Jays cricket jersey. And I honestly cannot wait to wear it when uh, Arjun Nimala makes his debut for the Blue Jays. And so I think it's interesting to see what's going on, uh, you know, with baseball trying to start a league in Asia and cricket. Of course, we've got the major league cricket uh, beginning uh, on the 13th. And then we've got the GT20 in Canada beginning on July 20th. Uh, and so it's interesting to see uh, how, you know, these two sports that have uh, a little bit in common uh, are trying to crack each other's markets. Absolutely. Are you going to get down to the GT20? Is it is it at King City again this year? It is not at King City. Oh. Brampton, uh, it's been in the works for a little while. Brampton has built uh, what is supposed to be an international level stadium and yes. so that is where they're looking to play the games that i do recall that actually it's it's called the caa center yes you're right thank you for peaking my memory so i i'm gonna have to head out there kobe we're gonna have to go out there man yeah we should check that out seriously you, you are gonna watch cricket this summer you hear me you are going to watch some cricket this summer and you are going to enjoy it hey look keep me posted on which game you guys are going to and maybe we can make it a party there we go. We'll get Justin in the mix. It'll be a great day out. No, um, that's fantastic. I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's in Brampton and the sports park is ready to rumble. Uh, Vivek, before we get you out of here, is there anything else that you wanted to share with our audience? Nothing too crazy. I mean, you can follow my work uh, on raptors.com. You can follow me on Twitter at VivekMJacob. Um, I am ready to make the transition to threads if that's where the people are going. So you can follow me on threads as well at VivekMJacob. Uh, whatever tickles your fancy. I'll be trying to put my takes out everywhere and just trying to hang hang around in this sports media business and try and be a cockroach. You will survive. You will endure. And um, I'm sure we'll have some rib ticklers for you because I just wanted to use the term rib tickler. (laughs) (laughs) Kobe, do you know what a rib tickler is? A rib tickler? Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a pun or joke, basically. So it's a cricket term. Um, it's like a, a a ball that's pitched or thrown, and it kind of hits the batsman in in the rib. Oh, or to kick into the ribs, yeah, yeah, to, to aim it into the ribs, if you will. So the baseball equivalent will be like a, I guess, a bean ball. Okay, that's so it's a British term. Yeah, Vivek, give us give us your picks for the National Bank Open here in Canada. National Bank Open. Um, you know what? I will go with Carlos Alcaraz okay. to win the men's. And I will go with Arena Sabalenka to win the women's. Okay. Good to have on again, buddy. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I enjoyed it as, just as much as I did last time. Oh, it's always a blast talking to you, man. You're pretty, you're pretty straight up about things. So. Yeah, we like that. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, 
and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our Insider Tips, Sponsor Giveaways, and Insider Newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcast's experience, where no sport is left behind.